You're listening to the Pullbox Podcast, the international graphic novel book club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. That's right, this is the Pullbox Podcast, and I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your other host, Michael Cohen. And today we're going to be talking about three excellent comics, Afterlife with Archie, uh, Volume 1, Escape from Riverdale, um, Xenozoic by Mark Schultz, and also the first volume of Batman from the New 52. This is The Court of Owls. Uh, but first we have a, a little bit of news that we need, or something we need to deal with first before <laughs> we get started, right? Yeah. So... This was an interesting month for us because we actually got the attention of Kurt Busiek, um, which we read Astro City last uh, in the last episode, and uh, word got back to him that uh, we we talked about his his first the first volume of his work on his podcast, and he gave us a listen, which is awesome. Yeah, except <laughs> he wasn't too thrilled with what we had to say. So we just want as, to... as you said on Twitter, uh, he thinks that we're idiots, and his his response was actually pretty funny. He's in the, he said uh, yes, but in the nicest way possible. Yeah, he, so he doesn't write out and come and come out and say that we are idiots. Yeah, uh, and he was he was actually tasteful that he he didn't even say the name of our podcast. He didn't. Yeah. Um, but anyone who knows their way around Google could find it, and people did find yes. our website, our, our podcast because of it, and. And uh, um, hopefully you're listening. Yeah, hopefully we got a few. I don't yeah. care. I what? don't care how you came to the podcast. We just care that you came to the podcast. What stupid things are they going to say in this episode? Yeah. yeah. So we just wanted to uh, to to clarify a few things. Um, first of all, what we said it was all speculation. Yeah. It wasn't fact. Yeah. It wasn't. Um, you know, it wasn't meant to to put down uh, Kurt Busiek in any way. Um, but um, and there was one one error that we made um, talking about Marvels. Like he he wrote that book as well, which we kind of. Yeah. I actually thought that Mark Wade did it, but I'm thinking of Kingdom Come, okay. which was Mark Wade and Alex Ross. So yeah, like that's a and and you know what? That's a that's a retraction that I'm totally fine with putting out there. Yeah. This, the other side of it is uh, because because some people did kind of come back at us especially on his twitter feed right uh not necessarily at us specifically but at the things that he was saying that we had said um like like curtis says it it was speculation especially a lot of what i said was was me i uh, sort of guessing at things uh and making some assumptions which obviously you're not supposed to do but when but, you get into rent mode you know that yeah but like it, this is the thing i I don't necessarily research every single author that I read. I don't know very much about... Like, I, Honestly, I don't even know who wrote Afterlife with Archie, and I enjoyed that book, right? Like, I'd have to, I have to look at the cover in order to see who it was. And, and like, it, you know, like, not to get ahead of myself, but, like, it's excellent, so why wouldn't I look into it? I didn't like Astro City, so I wasn't about to look up, you know, the life and times of Kurt Busiek. Like, it's, it just was not something... Uh, that's not something that I necessarily do. And I don't think that it's something that a lot of readers do. If you're a fan of someone in particular, you might want to get inside their head a little bit and learn about their writing. But uh, but when it's something that you don't like, I don't know, I wasn't really going to go deep into it. So when I was saying making comments such as, uh, it seems like he didn't get his opportunity to write Superman, so he went off to, to write his own book, that... 
I wasn't saying was fact. I said that's that was the feeling that I got. Right. And and then we looked it up afterward. Yeah, and uh, and and you know, like he and he has written Superman. He's yeah. written he'd written Superman previous to in in writing some Justice League stuff, and then he wrote Superman afterwards. And what I discovered was, oh yeah, I have actually read his work before. I didn't like it. No. <laughs> I read his work on Superman. Camelot Falls would be the the most recent work that, that he did on Superman. And I it was that was right when I got back into Superman comics. And I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to read Superman comics because <laughs> I really didn't like it. And so for me, it's just like his style, what he writes, it's not what I'm looking for. And that's not to disparage his writing because obviously he's a he's an award-winning author he the you know uh, he's got eisners and if you have eisners you you don't accidentally get those right they're not and they're not uh they're not like an oscar right like they they hold a little bit more weight than that because the comic industry is so small so like i i respect him for the work that he's done but it's just it's not my thing it's really not you know so and and i i don't know like i Maybe the way that we went about it was wrong. Maybe the comments that I made specifically were a little bit off base um, and based on assumptions. But at the same time, like they, they're reflective of my opinion. And I'm not going to... Like, my opinion hasn't changed. I, I, right. I, well, and it shouldn't. Yeah, yeah like, like based the, on that. There's a lot more about Astro City that I didn't like than I did like. And, yeah. and I mean, you can go back and listen to the last month to hear what I thought about Astro City. But... Um, that said, I think I am going to give a volume two a try uh, because we have gotten a lot of feedback, both from his fans and from some of our listeners, that uh, that it that it does build upon itself, which mm-hmm. is one of the things that I said. Like, if he can uh, differentiate from from the DC and Marvel universe a little bit more and start to give his characters their own identities, I could really see enjoying it. But because it was the original concepts in there that I did enjoy, but it was every time it reflected back, it right. just you know it it rubbed me the wrong way. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing when you get into I uh, what we're doing is is criticism to a degree, but as you coined uh, Curtis, it this is the graphic novel book club. So this is a, a lot of it is our opinions and our feelings about what we're reading right we're not it's not a it's not a review in that sense yeah, yeah. we're not a news source we're not i uh, we're not pundits right like yeah. we're not we're not in any way shape or form experts uh we're we're fans of comic books and 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 the the medium i you know we'll be experts on things from time to time when it comes to a star wars book i'm definitely going to have a certain amount of expertise on that and uh, and Curtis, you have your expertise in the in the comics area, uh, with your fandoms and stuff. So, like, the, there are going to be moments where we do add another layer as people. Yep. But, I mean, we're not we're not we're kind of on the maybe the fringes of the of the industry with web comics and that sort of thing. But well, and that's why we uh, that's why we're reading a twenty year old book. Yeah. If we wanted to be a news source, we wouldn't be picking up something that's so old. We'd be pick. Well, I mean, all of this <clears> stuff. Yeah. We've got some new releases this time, but uh, uh, yeah, I I want to dig back and see what I've missed that that's seventy, eighty years old even. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna rec- recommend something to you later on in the the podcast that's from the forties. So we'll okay. We'll see how that goes. It's not <laughs> it's not my pick for this month, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think that um. 
the the backlash on on Kurt Busiek's Twitter feed mainly came from came because he was making statements from our our uh, from our episode which made it seem like they were facts when they weren't yeah. and yeah. so people just reacted to that yeah and I can see that and he's he was having fun with it of course yeah it's oh yeah, yeah and, you know, he's talking about his fans absolutely and he so. even says one of the last tweets that he'd sent was that he was pulling it out of context and wasn't saying all the good things that we were saying about it. Right. He was just pulling out the negativity. Right. So. And that's what makes his feed an interesting one to read, right? Of yeah. course, uh, of course, he's doing that. Um, so, I mean, we understand where he's coming from, and hopefully he understands where we're coming from, too. But hopefully uh, uh, some people have come to us and listened to the podcast and actually... Cause, cause I don't listen back to my podcast very often. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something that I do, like record it and well, then it's out. You've um, heard it already. Why do you need exactly. to go back? Um, but in this instance, I wanted to go back and really listen to it and and maybe uh, see where we'd gone wrong, right? Um, sort of do do a little bit of a, of a, a post-mortem on it. And, uh, and I hope that anybody who has come to the podcast that found it and has listened to that episode has listened and heard that, that actually, I think that we gave a, a much more even review of it than, than what he presented on mm-hmm. Twitter. And I, and I liked so, it. I and I said that in the last one as well. Yeah. I quite enjoyed it. I didn't like all of the stories, each, each one of them, but um, I love the concept and I, there was some in there that I really enjoyed. And I'm going to give volume two a try as well. And I tried looking for it, but the library doesn't have it. Hmm. Um, so I have to track down a copy of it. But someone um, who who found us through uh, through the, the, the Twitter, on Kurt Busiek's Twitter feed, yeah. left a comment on, on our website saying that Volume 2 is the best out of all of it and has the, the best single issue as yeah. well that he's read. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see that as well. I yeah. love it when there's just a single issue that has so much impact and is so profound. I like those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I like I, I, thinking of the same the same comment when I say like I'm gonna read it. Yeah. Because I want to know, you know, like am I am I totally off base? Do I just have my own <laughs> yeah I, uh, preconceived notions about things, and that's why I why I didn't enjoy it, right? But. Whether whether I do or I don't, that's part of the the. That's why we ask you guys to th- send in your comments. That's why we have conversations on on the Facebook page and on our website. Uh, the the goal of Pollbox is not for us to tell you how to feel about a book, but for us to all discuss yep. what we think Definitely. and feel about about these different titles. So, uh, I don't know. I think that that kind of wraps up that. I think so too. Yeah. Okay, cool. We should probably get on to the, uh, the, good, <laughs> the good stuff here. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're going to begin our episode with Afterlife with Archie. And this is a, um, an Archie zombie book, if you can believe it, um, that just came out recently. In fact, the first volume was just released in trade uh, just before our last episode. That's why I picked it. And it's by, um, he's got a strange name here, so I'm going to try and pronounce this right, Roberto um, Aguirre Sacasa and Francesco Francavilla, and they they do a bang up job here. Uh, yeah. The, kind of the last thing I was expecting from Afterlife with Archie, but I mean from an, from Archie Comics, but uh, they did yeah. a good job. And this came out, um, this came about the same way that the Marvel Zombies came about. Is mm-hmm. um, as Marvel Zombies, there is a somebody did a variant cover, um, with uh, of a famous marvel cover but with zombies yeah and then they liked that concept so much that they ran with it and it became a big thing yeah um it was in the 
height of the, the zombie popularity in media at that time as well. And Afterlife with Archie did the same thing. Uh, there was a, a variant cover of one of the issues of Life with Archie that was a zombie cover. Yeah. And they got such good feedback about it that they, they ran with that as well. Um, one so, th- one yeah. thing to note is that uh, for anybody who who maybe knows Archie from when they were younger but hasn't really kept up with Archie, is that uh, af- uh, sorry, Life with Archie, which is what Afterlife with Archie is a sort of a spinoff or a takeoff on a yeah. parody of. Uh, Life with Archie is actually uh, the characters from Archie, uh, but older, right? So they're mm-hmm. kind of uh, they're they're yeah. in their adult lives. Well, and that's fun. And it's it's actually two separate. There's two separate timelines. There's one where where Archie ends up with Betty, and one where he ends up with Veronica. Right. So that's that uh, when you when you get into Afterlife with Archie, uh, at the same time that it is very reminiscent of of the old school Archie comics. Uh, I think the sensibility can throw some people off because it's actually more in line with life with Archie, which is uh, maybe skewed a little bit more towards mature readers. It's, yeah. it's still definitely good for, for younger readers, but but it has that little bit of, of content uh, that, that's a little bit more geared towards uh, towards the adult reader. So. Right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about this book. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, you go, you go first. What, what did you think of it? Well, I uh, I wasn't sure what to think when I first started because what I feel a lot about Archie with Archie comics in general is that they like they they've been floundering for a while, mm-hmm. uh, and they try to do things for for the sake of the gimmick to get yeah to get you know the, the new readers and whatever since, i mean really since like the 90s right because I, yeah. I can remember an issue because <laughs> i bought this issue of archie i right around the time that jurassic park came out where where archie and his pals go to an island that <laughs> veronica's dad bought that they're growing dinosaurs on and it's pretty much the plot of jurassic park but with archie right and it was all just to yeah. kind of like get me to read an archie comic right? oh yeah i have t- and i have tons of those too i have archie i bought an archie issue where they come to vancouver for expo 86 <laughs> right and i have there another one where archie meets the punisher yeah and yeah. that's uh in when punisher had like six books going on or whatever back in yeah. the 90s um and so this is the same thing i feel like it was a little it's kind of maybe even five or ten years too late because the zombie phase isn't or craze i mean isn't as big as it was yeah um 10 years ago or so but um but man they did a great job they took it seriously which is the the best thing that they could have done it's not a joke it's not lighthearted like archie comics usually is this is a dead serious archie horror story it's also not camp which a lot of zombie content can be yeah. Nowadays, like uh, Marvel Zombies, you mentioned before, uh, Marvel Zombies is a good read, the first volume at least. Uh, but I do find that it is very camp. Like it, it's it's very self referential. It, it's it's very um, like playing on zombie and comic book tropes. Whereas, well, this one does too. It does it does to a certain degree, but it also uh, it grounds it more than any other Archie story that I've ever read. Right, <laughs> right. like it's yeah, a, it yeah. is a very real story. Um, the the characters in Riverdale for the first time for me don't feel like cartoon characters. Well, and that's the thing. That's what I found as well is that we know because everybody grows up with Archie comics at yeah. some point. We know these archetypes, these characters that are quite superficial yeah so we don't need to be introduced to them 
Yeah. Uh, we're, we got thrown right into the story and we know everything about these characters already. But they, the, the writer here takes um, everything that we know about these characters and really make, uh, really plays with them, really makes them real. Like you said, grounds yeah. them so yeah. that they take these, these um, quirks that they have but um, spins them in a way that it's kind of more real world than we're used to. And it works. Yeah. And it, it completely works. Even the Archie becoming the reluctant leader of the, of the gang. Yeah. Um, it, it's really, really neat to see. Um, and I love how it starts. Like, they tie in Sabrina in there as well. Yeah. Um, that was the thing that really, like, uh, the second that I started the book... And I noticed that they that they were tying Sabrina in. I was like, "Oh, you got me! Like yeah. you've hooked me now." Because not only is it, are you doing this crazy thing with Archie, but you're gonna draw on your whole world of Archie, yeah, and uh, and and in a really clever way. Like how well? Like because because they could have just done it like every other zombie movie does, where it's just uh, it's not explained, right? It just happens. Mm-hmm. But instead. They give us a really cool intro into it uh, yeah. that that actually ties into all of the characters. So here's uh, for those of you who who don't know anything about, it, I'll give you a quick little intro here. Um, it, the the whole thing starts right with a bang. Jughead bursts into uh, Sabrina's house mm-hmm. with Hot Dog, his dog, in his arms, dead, saying he got hit by a car. Sabrina, I need you to bring him back to life. Yeah, and that's just something that she's not allowed to do. It's whatever um, off off limits for witches or something, yeah. but it's possible. Yeah. So Sabrina, knowing how much she loves her cat Salem, feels his pain, um, and and goes ahead and does it anyway against her aunt's best witch, uh, witches <laughs> wishes, and and Hot Dog comes back, but he doesn't come back right. Yeah. And he bites Jughead. Uh, which she, she actually it's a really cool little detail that you just kind of you it's not that hard to pick out but it's almost an easter egg the book that she reads the spell from is the necronomicon right like yeah yeah which is the book of the dead which, yeah uh, which I, I thought that that's a it's those little those little accents on everything that that really make it work for me it's yes. just that little stuff which like you, and you don't expect to see that in an archie book yeah exactly <laughs> like what other exactly. archie stories going to have the necronomicon yeah um and then uh yeah, yeah so jughead gets bitten he turns into a zombie and then uh, then he makes his way to classic horror movie scenario he goes to the prom <laughs> uh halloween dance halloween oh, oh a halloween dance right yeah. okay yeah. everybody's in costume it's oh part yeah of that's it. right Cause... oh and that was really funny archie's dressed up as Captain Pureheart, which is an actual Archie character, because okay. Ar- there have been stories where they place the Archie characters as superheroes, and that's the character that he gets to be all the time as Captain Pureheart. And so he's dressed <laughs> up as his character. That's excellent. Yeah, little Easter egg there too. Um, man, and just and and reading through it, it's like I was hooked up to the first episode, but then the moment I really knew that they were dead serious about what they were doing was uh, was halfway through. When Archie has to meet his dad, who has been turned into a zombie, yeah, yeah. and holy cow, what a what a horrific and and heartbreaking moment! Well, we that get is. we get sort of it's a one two punch because it starts really focused on on his dog, uh, uh, Vegas, right, and and sort of like tells the origin story of when when he went and he he picked Vegas out at whatever you know puppy farm or whatever, yeah, um, and. The the sneaky thing, because we, we kind of talked about it uh, over text as soon as I had finished that issue, 
Um, and I had said like, oh man, the, the, the part with the dog. And then you hit me back with yeah, but the part with the dad, <laughs> uh, and, I, and it made me think about it. And I went, oh, like they, they sneak it in there where they establish his father by establishing Vegas. Right. So they, it's a, it's a, it, they blindside you with it because they make you think that, that what you're getting here is a story about Archie and his dog. Right. But more than that is that you're really you're learning about what kind of a father Archie's dad is. Yeah, yeah. And just how and like it humanizes him, it makes him a real person. So we're not just sitting there from Archie's or like trying to relate with Archie when when he has to do what he has to do, but we know how Archie feels because his father is that perfect He's 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 that archetypal, you know, like like leave it to Beaver dad where yeah. like he's the Atticus Finch archetype of like he always knows what to say he always knows what to do he he approaches everything from mm-hmm. this perfect Every, level everything's a learning moment yeah and... yeah and so you're like oh archie's dad is the best and archie's dog is the best and then you know then, it, yeah his dog sacrifices himself so that archie can can get away and then and then archie sort of... does the yeah and then archie well he doesn't have to sacrifice himself but he does that to take care of his mom yeah so yeah, man, and it just uh it, it just is it, yeah. brilliant. Brilliant. It's writing. um it's got all of the 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 hallmarks of a really great horror movie. Not like I said, not a campy, not a silly horror movie, but like an actual, you know, like I I uh, Dawn of the Dead, the the Zack Snyder remake, yeah, um, from the early two thousands is is one that that really like. There's not a lot of camp in there. There's a few self referential jokes and that sort of thing, but like uh, it's a little bit meta. But it like to me, horror has really uh, since the nineties, since Scream, it's sort of taken on this persona of like it's got to be, gotta be meta and order, gory. Yeah. Well, and it has to be. It has to. It has to poke fun at itself in order for it to be considered good. Oh, yeah. But every once in a while, you get one that slips under the radar, that that ends up actually being a really, really good horror movie that does the same thing that good sci-fi does, uh, and that it it makes you look at sort of the human condition and and uh, and and uh, it. I, I always like to look at them. Sci-fi is something that makes you look forward. Uh, based on the information that you have right now, you're sort of uh, prognosticating on what the world could be yeah. if X was different or if we discover this or when we make these leaps and, and bounds forward as humanity and what we could end up being. Um, but horror oftentimes sort of looks back at humanity and then we learn things about ourselves by looking at the past yeah. looking at how we have reacted to things right so it really good horror always sort of looks at at something that's scary today but you know uses the lens of let's say how we reacted in world war Two to something and then sort of puts that on it and and uh and there's always those those depths in really good horror is those sort of levels that we can look at and although this is very much teens and there is very much the um the uh, especially because it's Archie, there's a lot of like the purity stuff, which is a very common theme in, yeah. in a, a teen survival horror where, you know, the, the, the teenagers who decide to make out are the ones who end up dead. Right. Right. I, uh, there's, there's a little bit of that. It's also, um, it's also very real. Like those relationships feel lived in and like they're, they're legitimate, not like they're just there 
for sensationalism. Like, I don't think we ever really see anybody, like, making out or, like, maybe, well, like, one or two kisses or whatever. What, what surprised me, though, is the, um, is the twins, um, what are the names? Cheryl Blossom, who, uh, Cheryl and Jason Blossom, who have yeah. this, like, incestuous, uh, It's a very sibling. Game of Thrones-esque. Yeah, uh, I was totally yeah. surprised to see that in there. Yeah, and it's, that is very, like, like read between the lines yeah but it's definitely there like yeah. it's it's i i had to keep like rereading dialogue and going like did they seriously just put that in this? <laughs> like is this something from regular archie comics like right yeah I, I remember when cheryl blossom was introduced and i do not remember any of this yeah like, yeah no it's I, new for this book but i yeah. it's it's that level um they're like people are thinking it anyway so let's just throw it in here because yeah. we can for this this book because yeah. it's not regular Archie. Yeah. And that's why they, they bump up um, uh, Veronica and Betty's um, sexuality to a different level as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and we also have, it's uh, kind of famously, uh, recently one, one of the, the things that Archie has done is introduced an actual, like, openly gay character. Yeah. Um, it's it's Kevin Kevin Keller yeah. Kevin Keller yeah and he's in uh, and too. he's in this book and he's actually a pretty heroic character like mm-hmm. he's, he's a really cool character in the book um, but in this book I don't know if it's in in other Archie comics but they sort of they at the same time that they have an open character like Kevin they've got, they uh, got these, Reggie uh, are you talking about Reggie who is the little um, close minded. No, uh, the other the the girls, the two girls that they oh yeah a, they they're they're they still in the closet right like yeah. they're and yeah. and one of them even has a boyfriend, uh, and so they're try they're kind of trying to keep it a secret, but one of them wants to come out, and I thought that that was so incredibly progressive to do it inside of a horror story inside yeah. of a zombie story, so right. that like 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 let let's let's use this. Uh, in a lot of places like let's use what's going to be the headline of this comic that you know oh zombies attack archie let's use that as an excuse to throw in all of these really cool characters and different moments for these characters uh that's going to explore things like sexuality which which most archie comics that i read as a kid did not do right nancy and ginger that's who we're talking about yeah um well yeah and it's because they're geared to kids and yeah well archie is overly sexual Mm -hmm. just in general it's actually kind of crazy how many parents let their kids read yeah read archie because like (laughs) archie's just a a sex maniac most of the time chasing after different girls with in bikinis or whatever right yeah yeah um so but it's all fun yeah it's all it's all kind of satire and it's all over the top but yeah you take it you put that into this one where it's a re- the real world situation it's not that zombies are real world but it's yeah. that kind of attitude and, and yeah you have to take those things and treat them seriously in that sense yeah. so it is neat to see um i don't think that you'll see nancy and ginger um as lesbians in the real book i don't i wouldn't imagine um unless they um, like they certainly won't have that struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah. If they do become, they'll just announce that these characters are out of the closet, and that's going to go forward from there. But yeah, you, yeah, you won't see them, um, kind of the should we, shouldn't we come out of the closet kind of thing, keeping it. Yeah. Well, it's definitely um, it's a little bit more more uh, 
uh, judgment based in in that sense where where I like to say that that the authors are the author is definitely making some comments about society by having two characters that are in the closet while you simultaneously have a character who's out of the closet mm-hmm. and then making commentary on that fact within the comic book yeah right and like you say if it were in a an archie comic you got to be kind of uh, one way or the other, right? Like, right. there's not a lot of room because it is for kids. And I don't know, is that Kevin Keller character, is he in the the regular Archie comics, or is he just in Life with Archie? Um, I think he's in the regular ones. Yeah, okay. he, he appeared before Life with Archie. Okay. So he's got it. He's in the he's in the real. Archie you know, world. I like the the big the other big stunt that Archie is pulling right now is that they're in Life with Archie. They're they're finishing that series, and to do it, they've they've killed Archie. I think the issue has actually already come out. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So I uh, they, they 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 or they're going they either have or they're going to kill yeah. him. It depends on when you're listening to this episode. But and you know the reason why he's he's killed. Yeah, he's uh, defending or like jumps in front of of uh, a gunman who's shooting Kevin, who's who's going after Kevin Keller. Yeah, and Kevin Keller is a senator or something like that, or he's running for office or something like that, which is why he's a target for assassination. Okay, Um, and so Archie gets in the way and and dies in both timelines, in the Betty timeline and the Veronica timeline. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So actually, we did. Did is that the email that we have? Or oh yeah, we do have. Um, a while back, we got an email from let's see, Joshua Gordon, who, uh, and this sort of influenced why I picked this book. He said, "I know you guys probably won't do this because it's not a graphic novel, but because of the recent announcement of Archie's death, can you talk about Archie and its legacy on the American comic book literature throughout the years, and why you think it's lasted so long for being a non-superhero comic book?" And does it have a fair and equal grounds among comic book fans? Your thoughts? And uh, many times it's Josh. Yeah, and that is why I picked this book. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, I, I feel like um, his legacy has lasted this long because they like to pull out stunts to to get headlines. Yeah. Um, and, and Zombie Archie is definitely a headline grabber. Yeah. Um, Archie, and so when Archie was going to get married that was a big one too because no one knew who he was going to marry ends yeah. up he's marrying both of them just yeah. in separate timelines um and then because of that yeah then they kept that story going and so introducing a gay character um is definitely a progressive move for them and uh, a headline grabber which is yeah. i think kind of why they they did it um and yeah and that's i think that's kind of where they're at now but they've always kind of been like that too yeah. Um, pulling these little stunts back in the fifties, they they had a um, um, they had a comic called Archie's Madhouse, which was their answer to Mad Magazine, which was just gaining its popularity at that time. Okay, and then they also brought out Little Archie, which mm-hmm. was their answer to Richie Rich and yeah. Little Lulu, which were really popular comics at that time as well. So they are they've always kind of really um, banked on those the, the trends that are going yeah. on. Yeah, um, and I yeah there was a. Archie one million or something like one no one one million AD, which was uh, Stone Age Archie, which okay. came out during the popularity like when the Flintstones was really popular, and then there was Future Archie that came out around the time Back to the Future was was coming out. And, okay. Um. So they they've always throughout the years have done yeah. done these kind of things. Yeah. Um. And 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 the Archie uh, 
like Archie Comics as a larger company actually uh, they maintain on some other properties as right well. the licensed properties yeah. yeah so I I mean I have been reading Archie Comics comic books for a very long time because the first comic book that I collected was Sonic the Hedgehog right printed by Archie Comics yeah, so still going I, strong too yeah 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 it is still and uh, and now they've actually got Mega Man as well yeah and uh, and and uh, at one point in time they had the Ninja Turtles too so I uh, they had uh, Ninja Turtles adventures so I yeah. uh, Archie Comics company is actually a much larger company than than a lot of people realize um, and I think that one of the reasons why they have stuck around is because they they target that demographic of sort of the under 10 uh, uh, comic reader like like no other company does. Um, there's a couple other companies that have tried, definitely. I mean, Boom recently did with their Disney licenses. Um, yeah, which they which did a great job. They were, yeah, they and were excellent titles. unfortunately, that but, was pulled out from under them because of the Disney merger. Yeah, um, uh, Disney Marvel. Disney yeah. Marvel merger, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, DC has also tried. I mean, they have an imprint at DC Comics that that is specifically for kids, um, right. which they sell fairly good numbers, from what I understand, of things like Looney Tunes and Scooby Doo. Yeah, and yeah. And, and their, uh, and their Cartoon Batman. Network uh, properties. Yeah. So yeah, stuff like uh, uh, Brave and the Bold when yeah. when that was on TV and, and that sort of yeah. thing. And they've always had those comic tie-ins when Animaniacs was yeah. around. They always they had yeah. those and that yeah. kind of thing too. But Archie, I. Uh, Archie, it, their bread and butter is that demographic, and I think that's one of the reasons why they've stuck around because there's just nobody else. Uh, there's nobody else doing that for kids yeah. uh, from a consumer perspective. So I, whether or not they're actually, you know, uh, uh, writing the best content for kids is is something that could be argued. But I think that a lot of parents that might not necessarily know about comic books. If they are at the comic book store, or let's say, I mean, I, I don't know how many grocery stores have a comic book rack anymore, but I, in one of those scenarios where a kid happens upon a comic rack and wants a comic book, are you going to get them Spider-Man, which is considered violent, or are you going to get them Archie, where, you know, Archie and Jughead are going to go have some hamburgers and Jughead's going to get a stomach ache, and we're all going to learn a valuable lesson, right? I <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's the perspective that a lot For of sure. people have. Well, so. and because they've grown up with Archie. <clears throat> yeah. uh, Archie is old enough now, because it started in the 40s, it, it's old enough now that every generation that's alive now probably grew up with Archie. Has Yeah, has at least picked up and read one comic. So it's a safe, it's a safe bet. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the grocery store. They do. You, that's and that's why it's had the staying powers because they package their yep. their stories, their single issues into these digest sizes, yep. and they're at all the supermarket checkouts. Yeah. So if you need to shut your kid up because he's yelling, pull an Archie right there because he's it's right there. Two ninety five. Exactly. <laughs> and then give it to your kid and he's happy. And um, yeah. And like I don't know, I have tons of these these from when I was a kid that are yeah. just in a box somewhere in, in in my basement, and and I'm sure that everybody has a box of Archies. Yeah, you go on Craigslist and you can find them by the hundreds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, and that's really kept them in the spotlight because they're so accessible. Yeah, you don't have to go to a comic book store. You don't have yeah. to go to a bookstore. It's at the grocery store. Yeah, and it's the only comic at the grocery store. Yeah. Um. So. If, it's the only thing for kids to buy. Actually, Sonic now has so- Sonic is there as well, but as well. trading on the name of Archie, I think. Yeah, right? because sure. they're uh, they're getting they're already getting their Archie supply. Slip Sonic the Hedgehog in there, and yeah. but again, like those Sonic comics, uh, 
although like they kind of hit this really cool peak around uh, around their issue 50 to 75 but i uh, they peaked at that because yeah. they're on like like 300 now or yeah something, aren't they? uh yeah they definitely peaked way back then oh too bad um <laughs> Just with some really cool writing and doing some interesting things, not worrying so much about tie-ins. But that was also a time when, so we were sort of between games. Uh, so, and anyways, that's a that's a whole Sonic the Hedgehog conversation. But that is more geared towards kids. That is definitely a property uh, when it comes to comics that is that is aimed at at that same demographic, which but, is why they're yeah. having success with it. And and I'm all for. I love kids comics. Yeah, I'm absolutely. all for it. I think absolutely. that there should be more. Um, and at some point, at some point, we'll pull in Mouse Guard, which is a, a mm-hmm. great example of a comic that is for both kids and adults. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and there's lots of examples like that. But, well, we just read Battling Boy last month. Yes, as well. yeah, exactly. Um, so I, before we, we've talked about Archie for a lot, but I want to talk about the artwork. <laughs> yeah. Because we haven't actually talked about this, and it's a very, um, very different style than we're used to with Archie, but so striking. You know what it reminds me of is Powers. Um, I think this is what they were going for, and it, it just kind of missed the mark uh, with, with Powers for us, right, when we were talking right. about that. Uh, but it's very similar. It's that, that black, instead of having the white background, right, that, that, that yeah. most comic pages have, it's, it's printed all black which definitely makes it darker. Yep. And then it is a lot of shadow and contrast. And then these very um, decisive color palettes where very, something yeah. will, will be, uh, it's actually, it's a lot of orange with other colors. And I think it's because we have Archie as our, our title character. And that's really interesting because yeah, every <laughs> time Archie is, is in the panel, his hair is always bright orange. It doesn't yeah. matter how dark. Yeah. Um, and I re- I'm re- reminded of when they're sneaking out of the house at the end, like they're in the forest, everything is really dark, but Archie's hair and the R on his chest yeah. is bright orange. Um, you'd think it would stand out, but it actually works really well. It's it's trading on the iconography, right? Yeah, which well, for I sure. think I which you have to because these characters don't look yeah. like their their actual no. Archie counterparts. They look like real people, not yeah. cartoons. Yeah. So you do need to have those those things in there. Yeah. You're just flipping through it, and I see the uh, I, um the the butler guy i i can't remember his name um i was gonna say jarvis it's not jarvis it's not jarvis but he is very jarvis-esque yeah uh, his his story in one of the issues is one of my favorites it really yeah stands out. and i don't know if that's real um i know that veronica's mom is alive in the comics is she so okay. that they changed a few th- oh smithers that's his name smithers okay. um so yeah they, they changed a few things for the backstory but for the sake of uh of this story i'm also surprised at how many um main characters they've they've actually killed off already yeah in this first volume i'm thinking if they keep it up at this rate they're going to run out of characters but then i remember like they could they could easily travel to whatever city josie and the pussycats are in and yep. then fold in a bunch of new characters that's where, there, right? that's <laughs> where i'm really intrigued and i will continue reading this series because we already know that the characters from sabrina are involved right and we haven't even met the rest of that cast we've yeah, only met exactly. sabrina and her um sisters. so so, and they're in the next town over, yeah. which like they which just left Riverdale. So, so I don't, people who are reading issues might actually already know these things. The information is probably already. No, out there, I but... think that they took a break after. Oh, this. did they? Okay, so they did the issues. It's kind of like how they're doing out. with Sega. Oh, okay, cool. cool. Um, well, that's exciting then, because yeah. it means that we get the opportunity to catch up and then exactly and then join in with everybody. Cool. Um, I think that's a, that's quite a lot of Archie to talk about. Let's yeah, yeah. Uh, let's jump into my pick. Sure, let's do it. Uh, so I picked a comic that has been sort of 
uh, floating around in the back of my head since I was a kid, since I was about seven or eight, uh, but didn't really know what it was until I decided that I wanted to actually read it. And uh, you guys might know it better as Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which is what it was often printed as in the in the mid '90s. But uh, Xenozoic Tales is actually is its original title, and uh, uh, what what I've got is a collection that was just recently done. Uh, by a, a publisher called Flesk, and it's just under the simple title Xenozoic. Um, Which is pretty it, catchy. Yes, uh, it really works. Uh, and uh, it's it's by one guy, uh, Mark Schultz, uh, th- this collected edition, I should say. Um, there actually are more stories uh, that, that are drawn by another artist. Stephen Stiles. Uh, yeah, uh, but still written by Schultz. Yep. Um, that That... I'm now going to have to track down because I love this book. Yeah. Um, for those who might be unfamiliar with Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, um, didn't happen to catch that Saturday morning cartoon in the 90s. The concept uh, <laughs> takes a little bit of wrapping your head around, but uh, once you're there, you, you'll like it. Uh, but it's basically, it takes place in the future, but a future where humanity has sort of had its chance with the Earth uh, the, some cataclysm, sort of Armageddon type scenario, which we happened. never hear about. Yeah, I. Yeah. Uh, but but you can tell that he's sort of leading up to oh, yeah. it, right? That he knows what it is. That that Schultz knows what it is. Um, it basically wiped out the human race, with the exception of a few underground bunkers. Um, so there's sort of these pockets of human civilization still around. Uh, but Who lived more, underground for generations. Yeah, yeah. But more important than any of that <laughs> is that dinosaurs have reclaimed the earth. Yeah. Uh, and at first you're like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then when you really start to, to get into the comic itself, mm-hmm. you find out that there's some very cool sci-fi explanations for why that happened um, and, and exactly how it came about. Uh, and uh, more important than anything for me as a reader is that this, the conceit of it, if you go into it expecting a modern comic book, uh, you're not going to enjoy it, I don't think. But if you go in with your eyes open to what it actually is, which is uh, a send-up to the 1950s pulp era, sort of that that uh, Doc Savage uh, and uh, uh, sort of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen-esque era yeah. of, uh, of, of adventure comics, uh, you're going to really love it. So for me, it was... Um, it scratched an itch that no other comic can do for me because at the same time as being that 1950s pulp story of you know like your your dashing rock hudson hero and your uh your your betty page yeah yeah yeah. your beautiful heroine uh very often scantily clad yeah um and you know fighting dinosaurs and and such in in you know uh awesome cadillacs uh it is also a, a, a very well written comic. It's not. Oh, yeah. It's not by any means like amateurish or or uh, or um, juvenile. It's it's very mature. It's it, it definitely starts off um, in a certain place. Uh, I kind of a little bit. I, I'm. I don't want to say weak because as we've talked about sort of off the podcast. I it, when you when you start the the book. Like, right from the get-go in the first issue, you're like, this is a cool comic. I really yeah. dig this. Oh, yeah. It hooks the, you right away. The artwork uh, and the writing is all is all what I would consider top-notch. But then, by the time that you've finished it, you get to the end of the book, 
and you find out that there's all this political intrigue going oh, yeah. on it's that huge. there's a much larger uh science fiction background to it there's also a very cool uh fantasy element running throughout sort of it's kind of it's a it's it's that the the meat of it is definitely that that uh that pulp era sort of story and then it's just got these veins of of science fiction and fantasy running through it that every time they pop up you're like oh yeah that that's the good stuff like that's where it really really shines um the the really unfortunate thing if anybody didn't read it and is just waiting to hear what we think about it first i schultz doesn't finish (laughs) yeah this is an ongoing series that he just kind of stopped working on um and it just it very abruptly ends in the middle of a story yeah and you're kind of left going really i want more uh thankfully he's he's promising more but I guess he's been promising more for a long time. Yeah, well, and the thing is that he... This is 14 issues. This book collects the 14 issues of his stories in Xenozoic. Yeah. Um, which he released over 10 years. Like, it mm-hmm. starts in 84, 85 or something, and then ends in the mid-90s. Yeah. Um, that 14 issues in 10 years is not that much. Yes. Um, so after every issue came out, I bet people were asking, is he going to release any more? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, because you, you just didn't know, and then eventually he just he didn't, and it's been twenty years since he's released an issue. But he's still yeah. active. Um, and he was at at I saw on his Facebook page he's at Comic Con right now. Yep. Uh, this weekend, and um, and and yeah, still drawing all of his stuff, and still an amazing artist. So I yeah, I mean he's just recently released a, a story. Uh, was it Storms at Sea or something like that? Um. And he's working. He's been working on on Prince Valiant, actually. Oh yeah, that's right. The yeah, the newspaper strip. Yeah. He's so the that's kind of his his, uh, his his bread and butter at the moment. Which but... is is great. He'd be great. For, I haven't read Prince Valiant in a long time, but based on this, he'd be a perfect fit for writing that material. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, like, I'm I'm definitely familiar with Prince Valiant, but I can't say that I've ever read any. So like, I used to a, read it back in the nineties because it was part of the comics page, and I read everything that was in the comics page. Yeah. Um, so I've talked a lot about it and given a lot of my opinion. What's uh, what, what, what's your take? How did you feel about it? Um, um, well, I loved it too, and I had the uh, the benefit of your rave review <laughs> first yeah. of all to cloud my judgment. But there's really nothing to cloud. I mean, it, it's it stands out yeah. as an incredible piece of work. It it's got very strong uh, writing, very strong characters. The artwork is beautiful yeah. right from the very beginning. Yeah. And because it spans 10 years, it only gets better with every issue because he had that much more practice in between each issue. So you get you, you look at the, the early stuff and it's just wonderful. Um, and then you're reading, you keep reading more issues and then you go back, you jump back to the early stuff and you're like, wow, this is not as good as, as the old the, the it, stuff. Yeah. That, but it was still good. It's still good. Still and it's interesting yeah. how he changes his character too. If you look at Jack, the main yeah. the main hero, um, he's kind of a thug-looking character. He's he's got a, like a, a a fat nose and a and kind of a brow, and, yeah. and he looks like a looks like a yeah like a thug, I guess. He's I a mechanic, he, yeah. right? I mean, that's right. That, that's one of his. Uh, but as the series aspects. as the series progresses, yeah. he definitely becomes that good-looking. You said Rock Hudson. That's yeah. right. That kind of character, um, and it's uh, it has an interesting change. 
I, I love how the beginning parts are short stories to hook yeah. you in, to yeah. get you um, familiar with the world. Um, and the second ep- the second ep- or uh, issue, second story in this book doesn't even start Jack. It's all about Hannah, the, yeah. the hero, the heroine. Um, and then they slowly, slowly um, start bringing in, like mentioning things that happened in the last episode to show you that there's a little overarching story. Yeah. And then by the last half of the book, you're full into continuity and everything connects. Yeah. Um, I, I love that uh, there was a moment after the short stories end and they get into the 20 pagers um, where you can see that it's a... Um, actually, can I see that for a second? Yeah. I, I'll show you that. It's the title of that story is... Um, what is it? The Rules of the Game. So the first three stories are issue one. The the next story is issue two, and then it goes to Xenozoic, one that's titled Xenozoic, which was uh, yeah. kind of a preview story from another anthology series. And then... Uh, Mammoth Pitfall, that was um, issue two. So then issue three begins with rules of the game, and there's an obvious, distinct um, change in his storytelling. Yeah, it's no longer about the short stories, um, but then there's also a change in his art style. Um, for the first two issues, he's restricting himself to actual blocks of panels in its yeah. standard blocky way. Um, but from from then on out to issue three onward, he plays with his layouts a lot. Yeah. Um, he, he circle panels and uh, lots of borderless panels and different arrangements and stuff, and it really, it really adds a very vibrant dynamic feature to his artwork. After that, yeah, um, things really stand out, and um, he's also just a master craftsman and a master draftsman. It's it's amazing. His his layouts are incredible. Everything yeah. is there for a reason. His his staging, his blocking, all of his characters are perfectly rendered 3D. Like he can draw them yeah. from any angle yeah. incredibly well. Absolutely. And his dinosaurs too. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and the world that he builds, uh, both in the writing and in the art, is is real. Yeah. Like it, it exists. Um, and I mean, one of my one of the things that, that and I think I may have posted this on Facebook on on one of your posts. Uh, that you made on the page is that you it's it's one of those great black and white comics yep. that by the time that you're done reading it you completely forget that it's black and white yeah right like in my mind those stories are in technicolor like they are they're incredibly vibrant and beautiful but he does it all in black and white like yeah. he, and and his the the way that he has uh rendered the world is is so exact and consistent that man uh you you just you get lost in it it's it it's very much how star wars is for uh for flash gordon type you know serial buck rogers uh, yeah. uh sci- sci-fi fantasy space opera this is for that that sort of uh the tarzan jungle um right. alan quartermain that sort of story like this is a person in modern time like today a contemporary artist taking the sensibilities of that era what people loved about it and the escapism from then and and bringing everything that we know about storytelling today into it and uh it just it really it 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 kills me that I'm not in a position to make this into something bigger <laughs> yeah. to like grab him and say like, let's make a movie. Let's right. make a TV series. Yeah, like, well, let's with, do something with it. With Planet of the Apes so popular, yeah. like this would fit exactly. right in with that yeah. fan base. Yeah. It would be 
perfect. Yeah, because it it uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Because it's got a great uh, setting that that allows action. It allows uh, these really cool. Like we haven't even talked about the ecological right, sort yeah. of theme of the whole book, uh, where Schultz is very um, he's very aware of of ecology. And when you actually put it in the in the the frame of the the early eighty or sorry the late eighties and the early nineties, you see where where it sort of fit in with with pop culture at the time because yeah. that's that's the era of Captain Planet and the Smoggies and, right yeah and all that sort of thing where I where we were very much trying to get kids uh, kids who are now adults <laughs> you and I <laughs> uh, on the on with the idea that recycling is important and we're killing the planet and right. that that whole uh, ideology is just all throughout the book but so in a very is, mature way is the cartoon like that i had yes. never watched the cartoon yes. so the cartoon even more so than the early issues of the comic yeah focuses on that element uh jack's character because by the time that they had made the cartoon you're a few issues in so you'd already gotten uh because in the first couple of issues you don't really get a lot of this idea that he's an old blood mechanic and that they, they uh, you get a tiny bit of it peppered here and there but then sort of the middle of the book it it starts to hit hard where uh, he's almost blinded by his his yeah. his uh, ideology that that humanity had its chance to rule the planet and we screwed it up and yeah. the cataclysm set everything back to normal. It put and we everything can't mess right with it again. Yeah, yeah, and so like now we have to be very careful because every time we mess with something, nature's going to mess back. Like, yeah. and it, what you find out in the comic hopefully everybody's read it hopefully yeah. we're getting you to read it so I, I don't know if i'm spoiling anything really but what you find out is that we as humans uh in in sort of the near future came up with all of these great scientific advancements but eventually those advancements are what sort of undo us and uh, we don't it's not really clear exactly how that happened but basically we tip the balance accidentally back towards nature where nature is now in control Right. So it's a uh, it is it, it actually you're right. It, it shares a lot of uh, ideas with Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which yeah. is in theaters right now as we record this um, a lot. It also shares a lot of ideology with Godzilla, uh, where where it's sort of like let nature restore balance and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it, it is perfect for today. Like if if you could release it with the special effects that we have and a great director who has a, a, the sensibility for it, uh, it, it could just destroy the box office. But I don't know. Like it, it also, it has dinosaurs. <laughs> also it has dinosaurs. Like this is sort of the big thing, but, um, we talked about it a little bit. I, they, that people are afraid to do dinosaurs because Jurassic park does dinosaurs so well. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, like, what are you going to do? You know, uh, Peter Jackson tried and everybody made fun of his dinosaurs because they didn't look like the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Yeah, they yeah. weren't velociraptors exactly. So, uh, you know, it's I think it's a difficult thing to, to hit on that level. But I do think that there's there's so much meat in in the stories that he tells that that it's just ripe. It's ripe for for adaptation into a into a film series or mm -hmm. better yet like a like a game of thrones like hbo series that can really get into stuff on a network where you know a cable where you don't have to worry as much about about 
hitting four quadrants yeah. and you can just make something that's incredible and let that speak for itself. Cause I do think like there's a lot of well, really cool ideas in there and there's a lot, there's an important message in the book. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that's one thing that people might gloss over. Well, did you ever watch uh, Terra Nova? I did. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities there. And if they it's could make a TV similar. show with dinosaurs that has, has that sort of level to it. Yeah. Um, and especially with the ecological side of it and everything yeah. too. And that, there you go. There is a Xenozoic right there. Yeah, and you know what? I would even point at Terra Nova as as somebody with my mentality uh, making an attempt without actually getting the license because um, yeah. I think the license is 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 weird. Like it's tied up in a couple of places. You can't say Cadillacs and dinosaurs without obviously getting approval from Cadillac. So they actually <laughs> yeah, right. they actually own some of the rights to Cadillacs oh. and dinosaurs. Okay. So I think that might be one of the reasons why we've never seen it come back. And it's definitely one of the reasons why this is titled Xenozoic. Yeah, and it's not on DVD, the cartoon. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, there's a lot of rights issues with the title. So right. I think that that's one of the reasons. I think that's why it's sort of languishing right now. I think that's why he's not publishing anything. If you look at... And this is all legal stuff, so I'm sure that there's a lot behind the scenes that, that we don't know about, that nobody's ever publicly talked about because it is legal. Yeah. Um, but if you kind of look at the timeline of when he stopped... It's, it does coincide with, well, we made a cartoon series, we made a video game, like it was going to be the next big thing. It was right around that Jurassic Park time. Everybody wanted dinosaurs in their stuff, um, but it never went anywhere. And so uh, whoever owns that license feels that it's more valuable to hold on to it than it is to do anything with it. And so uh-huh. I, like, th- I think that's where we're at right now. And that's one of the reasons why it's not a bigger thing. That's too bad. Um, it deserves to be a bigger thing. It does. It absolutely does. And I, and on the one hand, I wouldn't want to see anybody but Schultz handling it. On yeah. the other hand, I would really love to see them let somebody else play in this playground. Because yeah. it, it, he's he built the world, just like George Lucas. He built the world. Now let everybody else have it. Let everybody else have mm-hmm. a crack. So that we can tell some cool stories, right? Um, but... You know, it might be one of those things where where we're kind of left with with what we've got with the fourteen issues that exist. Well, in this and if that's format. it, then that's okay too. I mean, it's quite the legacy. They, I mean, it leaves us a, on a cliffhanger, but yeah. it's not like you know, if that if we never get another issue of Xenozoic, I'm I'm okay with that as well. Yeah, like yeah. there's so much material in here to go back and yeah, um, yeah. My favorite thing, my absolutely favorite thing about this book, is his inking. Yeah. His incredible inking and the reproduction um, of these pages is incredible. They, the the printing is is so so good. They must. I'm pretty sure he shot this from his original art because I'm sure I can see pencil lines in here somewhere. Mm, yeah. Um, but you can his his brushwork is so fine and yeah. so detailed that you have to get up there super close and look at everything that's going on. Yeah. And there are two issues in here or two stories. I mean, that are inked by Steve Styles. And they stand out like mm. they, they're not nearly as good. Mm-hmm. Um, it really changes the look of his artwork. Um, so he, he, it takes him a long time to do his art, of course, because it's so rendered yeah. and because he puts so much attention into the inking. Um, but it pays off big time. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's quality over quantity, right? And sometimes, sometimes it's worth it. And in, in, in the case of Xenozoic, I think it is. I yep. think yeah, if, if anybody didn't read it and is just listening to us talk about it, 
you're making a horrible, horrible <laughs> yeah. mistake and you need to get your hands on a copy of it. It's, yeah. it's actually, because this is a very recent uh, uh, publication by Flesk, it's actually very easy to get your hands on right now. Yep. Um, and that might not be the case in two or three years. Right. So Yeah, they did. I'm sure they just printed a limited number of these yeah. and... Uh, um, it's what thirty or forty bucks or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I think because it's think a hefty I, book, I, it's three hundred some odd pages. Yep. And, uh, it's I, the cover price is about forty five, I think. But okay. then it says forty. Forty, okay. Yeah. But then uh, I actually got it off of Amazon for about twenty six ninety nine. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's at that price. It's well worth it. It's I've I've paid more than that for a Marvel comic that wasn't very good. Yeah. So. Well, and it's on nice, really thick. Um, yeah. Paper and it, yeah. which really shows shows the uh, black and white off, and it's got a beautiful cover with yeah. uh, with the French flaps and um, yeah, it's it's just really nice, well designed, really sturdy, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, highly, highly, highly recommended. Okay, one more note, and then we'll move on to yeah. the next one. Um, I I found some of the uh, Stephen Styles uh, stories online, okay. and so I read a couple of them. Yeah. And uh, and they're they're good. They're worth reading because it's Mark Schultz again doing his great writing. Yeah. Um like the artwork is not as strong because it's not Mark Schultz. Sure. Um and they don't follow the continuity. Okay. So they still do star Jack and Hannah, but um they take them out of the main storyline and just kind of do a little separate side story or something like that. Okay. So they they don't tie in to okay. the bigger picture at all. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna have to track down uh, something <laughs> with those stories in it because I I want more. But yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's good. I like that I kind of have this very coffee table book esque. Yeah. I, I sort of like the definitive. I'd Zia say so. Zoic, right. Yep. Like I think that's what they were going for, and they definitely accomplished that. So yeah. Um. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's jump from those two. Uh, uh, sort of off the beaten path, uh, one more so than the other <laughs> books. Yeah. Uh, on to right onto the beaten path that everybody else walks. In fact, it's so crowded you sometimes don't want to walk it. Um, That's why I'm not walking it. <laughs> yeah, usually. I uh, with our our uh, this is our reader poll. Uh, Matt Campbell uh, was nice enough to to send in a suggestion for Batman uh, Volume One: The Court of Owls, which is the first volume in the new Fifty Two. Uh, reboot of Batman, uh, written by Scott Snyder, who was actually writing Batman before the reboot, and he was one of the few, uh, one of the few artists. Art, when I say artists, uh, creators, I guess. Um, they they creatives, I should say, uh, that got to stay on the book that he was on. Huh. Uh, and uh, and I will tell you, you can you can notice it because his the the stories that he was writing previous to this, Gates of Gotham. They're very similar, and they tie right into everything that happens in this book. Good. Well, and that's my um, first comment about this, is yeah. that I like this book because it doesn't feel like a reboot. No, it, it absolutely it's was not. just Batman. It's yeah. just a Batman story. Yeah. There's nothing in here that tells me that they relaunched the entire universe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there is, if you read it in issues, there is one thing that would have told you that. Okay. And that's, uh, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll flip to, and it's the contrast of the issue from the... Uh, from the trade paperback. Uh, it is the appearance of all of the Robins. And this is actually, uh, to my knowledge, now once again, this is going to be a lot of hearsay and speculation. Uh-oh, but to my learning Twitter, learning. To my knowledge, this is one of the only times that Tim Drake has appeared in the actual Batman books. Um, 
because there's a bit of a controversy around this. Uh, he only appears in one one panel of this. I guess technically three panels, one page. One page, yeah. Um, and in in this edition, in the collected edition, the trade paperback, it says Tim Drake, current Red Robin, Team Titans member, access level high, um, which is sort of like a little little call out box. Uh, it, it, just for contrast, uh, Damien says it says Damien Wayne, current Robin, access level high. And Dick Grayson, former Robin, current Nightwing, access level high. In the original issue, that said, former Robin, current Red Robin, and then the rest of it, Teen Titans affiliation, whatever. Yeah. Um, but no they, access level. Uh, well, the access level, oh, okay. but like the the most important part is that it said former Robin, current yeah. Red Robin, which has been omitted in this oh, version because he because, was not a former Robin. Because in the actual rebooted continuity. Tim Drake was never Robin. He's oh. always been Red Robin. That's oh. he, he started as Red Robin. They have not, to my knowledge, because I haven't had anybody tell me, and and like this is because this is a sticking point with New Fifty Two for me. This is one of the things that really upsets me. Tim Drake is my Robin, right? Dick Grayson is the one that we all know, and even as kids, I'm sure that a lot of what we thought we were attributing to Dick Grayson, we, it was actually Tim Drake. Um, because the animated series didn't go out of its way to let you know when they switched from Dick Grayson to Tim Drake, but at a certain point they did. <laughs> oh, I remember um, that episode though. Th- th- there is an episode, but if you didn't watch every single episode as a kid, which very few of us did because yeah. we were watching. But there was an obvious, like there was a college you know, sure. Robin and there was yeah. a kid Robin. Yes. Like, there were yes. two definitely yeah, different yeah, yeah. Robins. Um, but even like the comics at that time, Tim Drake was Robin. Right. And a lot, and there was, because... Dick Grayson is the one that's kind of classically Robin. That's the one that everybody always everybody sees Robin. They assume it's it's Dick Grayson. Yeah, but, but he hasn't been Robin for thirty years. Exactly. That was so, before any of us were reading comics. Exactly. Yeah. So I, uh, Tim Drake really is like just from a personal standpoint, he standpoint he's my Robin. Like yeah. that, he is the person that I consider Robin. Right. Um, I I understand the lineage. I understand that that Dick Grayson was and is now Nightwing, and I like Nightwing, and I like Dick Grayson as a character. But but really, the person to own that mantle for the last couple decades has been Tim Drake. Yeah. And then in one fell swoop with the new Fifty Two, they gone. they yeah. destroy that legacy. Dick gets to keep his legacy. He was Robin, and he is now Nightwing. That's all intact, albeit modified and updated and different. But it's all still there, right? His history with Batman is all still there. The thing about Tim that I always loved is that Tim is Batman more so than Dick ever has been. Like Dick is his own character. And one of the things that makes him interesting is, especially in this book, is how different he is from Batman, how different he approaches things. Well, that's why he quit being Robin. Exactly. But Tim... It, although like he he doesn't share all of the traits with Batman because his parents initially weren't weren't killed like his parents were alive but he was just that much of the boy detective that yeah. he discovered who Batman was and earned the title Robin yeah. right because this is in the period after uh, Jason Todd where Batman was like I'll never do that again right right and it took a lot of convincing for for tim drake to become robin and he earned the title more than any other character who's ever held it because mm-hmm. for damien it's a birthright thing like yeah. he's robin because he's supposed to be batman in his eyes right like it's a it's a consolation prize for him but for tim like he really 
when Batman died a few years ago and there was the battle for the cowl and everybody's like, well, what's your opinion? You know, how do you fall on this? Who deserves to be Batman? Because everybody thinks they have a claim to it. And for my money, it was always Tim. I was always like, Tim deserves it because he's the only one who's as much of a detective as Batman is. Yeah. So right off the get go, you, you really, really piss me off with this comic. <laughs> but I will say having to read the rest of it because it's been sitting in my collection for probably a year and i and i read the first two issues and i didn't really get into it but because matt uh, i respect his uh, his opinion and his uh, recommendation because he said you guys should read it i i went through and i read the rest of the comic and you know what this is a better batman story than all three of the dark knight movies combined yeah um batman well, is a detective yeah, it in shows this. and it shows it's amazing once he gets into the court like underground yeah. or whatever yeah. and he's just like pulling here's how i knew where we were because of the taste of this water <laughs> like yeah and he's cow. like and he's like and you know what you know what does ignite is this phosphorus whatever yeah which i pulled out of your camera and you didn't even notice yeah and now i'm gonna blow a hole in the floor because i know that this part of the floor is different from that wall yeah and it's yeah. like that's batman it like, totally is like i and on top of that, there's a very, like, once you get past the first issue, um, or really, I guess, deep into the first issue, you get this very uh, uh, CSI um, mm-hmm. sort of procedural element to it of, like, we've got these murders, and Batman's trying to figure out who's right. behind it. And, and you so, have to do that CSI thing. That's yeah. what detectives will, like, how else are you going to get the information, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, you don't but, go in there and punch the information out of yeah, <laughs> out yeah. of a dead but body. But it works. But it works so well. And so it, you know, if the new Fifty Two means that that Batman's going to be darker and grittier, and so we get some shots from the inside of a carcass, right? <laughs> uh, which I don't like. You know, Batman back in the day, I don't think that you could have gotten away with that. But nowadays, yeah. you can. So you know, like if if that's what we can do with Batman today, uh, that's cool. I'm I'm cool with that. Uh, you're not going to convince me that the new 52 is a good idea. You're not going to convince me that the new 52 has been successful because really I, it's, it's kind of crapped on the legacy of every other character that I love in the DC universe. Um, but Batman is Batman. So he's somehow more bulletproof than Superman. <laughs> I, I loved this book. I'm going to read the next volume, but I hear that it that it kind of starts to trail off a little bit. Yeah, well, I think the but, next one is because it starts um, the Court of Owls starts in Batman, but then it spreads to the other yeah, Bat books, so yeah. it becomes a multi creative team kind of thing. And yeah, it's an event right? that doesn't always go well. Yeah, so that's too bad. But seldom this... goes well. I think is what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Um, yeah, this but this works. I, I love it. I love the new character. I don't know if the owl existed before this or not, or if this is no. New. The Court of Owls was a new thing, okay, uh, specifically for for the reboot. Yeah, and it, it it's really neat. It's got so much mystery behind it, and yeah. uh, um, like who are these people? And I totally thought it was going to be a Scooby Doo thing where the guy at yeah. the guy who's running for mayor or whatever is the guy behind the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't end up that full spoiler. No, well, I, yeah, where it ends up is actually tying into Dick Grayson's yeah. history more than Batman's. Which is kind of cool. And yeah. I, like, that, when they, when they sew that initial thread, I was like, oh, let's, I don't understand why, like, that seemed like such a silly throwaway uh, element. And then it kind of comes full circle by the end of the of the story, which yeah. is what a good mystery should do. It yep. should it should sort of there should be some red herrings, and you should it should make you go, 
could Dick Grayson like like this initial part with him being the Joker, I uh, like like uh, putting yeah is that mask. just a foreshadow or yeah, yeah like yeah. like what are you trying to do there? But it's a red herring. It's a yeah. total misdirect where like we're thinking like oh it's the new Fifty Two. We're gonna find out by the end of this that Robin isn't Nightwing anymore. Now he's the Talon. Now he like he's he's the head of the Court of Owls. But like we find out that no. that although that's where it was supposed to go, it's not where it did. Right? Yeah. Like it's. It, I think that's a really cool element to it. I think Scott Snyder's a great writer. The other New Fifty Two book that I read is uh, Swamp Thing. I read Swamp Thing and Animal Man, and Swamp Thing written by Scott Snyder. Like I love his writing. I think cool. he's a really talented guy. Nice. Um, if you did enjoy Court of Owls and it was your jumping on point for Batman, I highly suggest going back and picking up Gates of Gotham, which, uh, which I have, which you can borrow if, if you want to read that. Um, uh, but I don't know, like it just, uh, uh, the new 52 as a whole, it just doesn't do it for me, right? It's it, Batman seems to have not been messed with because uh, uh, Gates of Gotham was was the precursor to this. It was the story leading right up to. It wasn't in Batman specifically. I think it was like its own miniseries, or it was in Detective Comics or something like that. Because um, the the book is just titled like it's Batman colon the Gates of Gotham. Right. It's not Batman Volume whatever Gates right. of Gotham. Um, but it, it it's I don't it's it just it it rubs me the wrong way that everybody else gets thrown for a loop, particularly Superman, because I am a Superman fan. Um, but Batman pretty much gets to just keep telling the same story that he was telling <laughs> the month before, right? Yeah. So it, it, like, I, I definitely have my own personal feelings attached to that, but I, uh, they, they don't stop me from saying that this is a great book. Um, yep. It was a smart choice for them to not feature one of his main villains as yeah. well for this. Yeah. They started with someone new, which... Uh, really put the focus more on Batman because a lot of the time the focus is on the villain. Yes. And it's the Which more is, villain that, stories. In that's Batman. one of my arguments all the time. It's like you don't like the Dark Knight. You like Heath Ledger as the Joker. Right. Right. Because Christian Bale's Batman, he's a little bit flat in it's my completely opinion. completely flat. And most of the time I find in Batman comics, Batman is the yeah. lamest character out of yeah. all of them. Yeah. Um, this is not the case in this book. Yeah. In this case, you have an extremely strong Batman yeah. uh, who's smart and and gets the job done and, and, uh, flawed, and exciting. Fl- flawed, but not in the same way that we're used to seeing, right? right. We, like, there is a lot of that element of always oh, up all night he's single-minded that sort of thing yeah but there's this element of the court of owls that it's been around since before him and he refuses to accept it yeah and i love that um, it's like this pride to yeah him. i love um how he brought the city into play in yeah. this book too and it's always been yeah. said that gotham city is an actual yeah. character in that's batman where, that's where gates of gotham uh is is an excellent read because yeah. it does the same thing yeah and th- yeah this is great yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I will check out more of, of Batman New Fifty Two. But it just, I'm just not changing my opinion <laughs> on the New Fifty Two because changing Captain Marvel to Shazam doesn't sit well with me. Making Superman edgy doesn't sit well with me. Uh, arguing about whether or not Wonder Woman should be wearing pants uh, is is a stupid argument to be having. <laughs> we should be just writing great Wonder Woman stories, right? right. So, uh, and what they did to to Tim Drake and Teen Titans. And, and so many other characters is just so offensive to my sensibilities yeah. that that one good book, or I should say three good books, because Batman, uh, Swamp Thing, and Animal Man, at least in their first few volumes, uh, are all 
excellent. But um, and you know the thing is that um, back in the eighties when John Byrne sure. took over Superman, he completely changed Superman's origin, right? Yes. And it was uh, it wasn't a big event like this, but it still no. happened. It was like one issue was this way, and then the next issue it was a different way. Yeah. And that, but that's become the definitive version for our Absolutely. generation yeah. of Superman. Yeah, yeah. Um, this this change of Superman is just gonna it might be the same way, right? Yeah, uh, it, it's a you know what it is though. It's it's a matter of um, like with Batman, I'll say like Batman is intact. His 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 origin is the same. His character is is very much the same. Um, there aren't any elements about him that have been changed. Right, like you, yeah. you're you're just sort of restarting the story a little bit closer to the beginning. Right. Um, with Superman, the things they did to him, uh, he's, and they say that they're trying. They they were going back to his roots uh, in the 1930s as like a social justice crusader sort of thing, and so and you know he's a little bit more. Um, of a pugilist like he's a little bit more like he's gonna punch things and 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 be a little bit more intense and 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 edgy but at the end of the day that's not what you get from those comics what you get from those comics is that they took away uh the the what archie comics was playing on when they create a character called pure heart and you know they they relate archie to superman yeah um like superman is supposed to be pure he's supposed to be good he's supposed to be apple pie the american way all of that sort of thing they they and now we're kind of getting into a bit of a of a of a superman new 52 volume one uh conversation but they they erase that from his character um they killed his father off early and so he's uh, much like they did in man of steel so he's all tormented and it's you like mean, and by father you mean his earth father or his, his earth father yeah. jonathan kent right so uh, what they did is they made Superman Batman. And like Batman gets to be Batman. He's still Batman because you know what? The Dark Knight movies make a lot of money. Right? right. Yeah. Um and and I think that this that's the core of, of what upsets me is that DC doesn't have faith in their characters. They don't have faith in their legacy. And so they're always trying to it's a lot like Archie. They're always trying to ride whatever the current wave is. Yeah. So the current wave is the Dark Knight. So let's make Man of Steel a Dark Knight version of Bat of Superman. And it certainly was. Right? And and uh, you know, for better or worse. I, I quite enjoy that movie, but it's not the Superman movie that I would have made. It's definitely not the Superman movie that I want. Right? Um and it's it's in stark contrast to Marvel and what they do where Marvel steps back and they go, okay, who's strong? Who's a character that we haven't had the opportunity to use yet that we can come out the gate with this incredible stride and just blow everybody out of the water? And they go, well, let's use Iron Man, right? Like there's so much there. There's so much to the character. It just hasn't been done for the general audience yet. Rather than going back to the well of like, well... Wolverine's cool. <laughs> yeah, or like like let's just make another Batman movie because Batman sells, right? But like look at the DC universe and look how great it is, how deep it but is. But you know, and the they legacy, they right? tried with Green Lantern because there's a character that <clears throat> people kind of know about sure. but don't really and, Sure. And they, they definitely did try and make Green Lantern their Iron Man movie. Yeah. Uh you you can tell, but yeah. um 
But but, but again, like this is what I'm saying. DC and Warner Brothers in particular, like that's who I'll lay the blame with is Warner Brothers because their fingerprints are all over everything. Yep. Whereas Disney's fingerprints are not on any of what Marvel is doing. Like, well, they're they are occasionally here. And there. But I'll say the movies, the the cinematic universe. It's very much Marvel Studios and Disney just kind of throws money at them. But I like the, that's Green Lantern was DC trying to do marvel as opposed to letting green lantern do green lantern because iron man is iron man doing iron man that's right right. like that's john favreau loving that character and and uh, robert downey jr finding that character right yeah um and and then the same can be said for captain america and the people who've been involved with those movies uh as well as as thor and avengers and now guardians of the galaxy which comes out next week as we're recording this and yeah, yeah. Uh, and it looks like it's the same thing and the, the but the cool thing is that these movies are all connected but they're not all the same movie right winter soldier is not the same oh, movie yeah. as iron man 2 well that and, was not even a superhero movie it yeah, was so great that yeah way. so um i don't know like i really wish that dc had the faith in their properties that marvel does because marvel's doing the same thing with their comics i find like I, I, we've talked a little bit here and there about about Superior Spider-Man, and how like it it it's so true to Spider-Man without telling a Spider-Man story. It's a story about Doctor Octopus, and it's it's we'll get to it eventually on on the podcast. But it, like it's yeah. they're doing that with their stories, and and I just don't find that DC is except with this book, except, except with, with Batman, with Court, Batman of Court of Owls. It's it's a Batman story with new characters with with the the, the court of owls yeah. with this new element that is definitely part of the reboot yeah. but it's well, still batman right? and we should throw it out to our readers what else out there yeah is similar in this vein what else should we read that will uh that is still familiar to us that yeah. stays true to the roots of the characters is there anything in the new 52 that does that or on the flip side um show us a new 52 story that has changed things for the better sure sure yeah yeah um yeah i mean i i, I have read our aquaman volume one which, i read that which one too reads. actually um my brother told me that i should read that one yeah. and it was it was great i um, did enjoy nice, it nice take on yeah. aquaman it didn't hook me the same way that that some other books have hooked right me, but but it was good it yeah. was it was capable but um i think that about does it for, should be. we've for been us. talking for a long time yeah yeah i uh, let's uh, let's uh, let's start with your pick for next month. Well, I brought a book, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use that as my pick for this month. Okay. Um, because um, the only reason I didn't pick it, the one that I'm gonna say now, is because it's in storage and I didn't have a chance to dig it out. But I'm gonna okay. go dig it out, and it's it's Terry and the Pirates, uh, Volume One, which was published by the Library of American Comics and IDW a few years back. Okay. And it's an old comic strip, a newspaper comic strip from the 40s, and if you liked Xenozoic and you love that sort of pulp feel, yeah. then this is authentic Okay, and, uh, from that era, and it's fantastic. Um, it revolves around um, this little boy, uh, Terry, who's in a, at an American outpost in China. This is before World War II, um, after World War I, and, um, and them kind of uh, just... Uh, it's an adventure strip, and they deal with pirates, but they're Chinese pirates, and not like pirates of the Caribbean-type pirates. Like, this is... A 1940s style okay. pirates, and uh, and it's it's incredible. It's a great story, um, excellent artwork by a, a, an amazing artist named Milton Kniff, and uh, it's it's really good. So I'll go and dig that out of storage 
so you can read it. Okay. And that's my pick for this month, Terry and the Pirates. Okay, cool. Uh, my pick, <laughs> let's go in completely the opposite direction uh, with uh, uh, Sex Criminals, which was actually recommended to me by, by a friend of mine. Uh, he just read it and said that it was awesome. Um, and it's it's written by Matt Fraction, who uh, I love. He he did a really great turn on Iron Man. Yeah. Um, and he's written some other great, great stuff. I haven't read his Hawkman, but that comes highly yeah, recommended. I, I do. I have his first two volumes of Hawkman, and they are excellent. So uh, this is this is an original. Uh, it's it's published by Image, um, and it's kind of its own thing about. Uh, it's fun territory. It's something that we haven't gotten to yet in in the, the, this vein. Um, basically, the the concept is that this this woman, uh, when she has an orgasm, time stops. <laughs> awesome. So uh, where it goes with that is that, uh, and this is how it was pitched to me, is that she, she goes her whole life thinking that she's the only person, and then finally she meets another person with the same ability. Huh. And uh, she works at, at a library or owns a library or something like that. And uh, and it's gonna it's gonna be foreclosed on by the bank. So they decide to use their powers to, to rob get some the money. bank to <laughs> save the library. Which I you know like that. I I think that's all you really need to know in order cool. to it, like if you're gonna read that you're gonna read that. Yeah. If you're not you're not. Um, but when you say that it's Matt Fraction. I'm I'm intrigued, right? Okay, so good. I haven't read it yet. Uh, th- this this will be a brand new thing for me. Awesome. Um, so I'm excited about it, and I'm excited to to hear what you think about it, and yep. hear what our readers think about it, because I think it's unique. It's uh, it's its own thing in comics. Mm-hmm. It's going to play on some of those superhero ideas, but you know, superhero supervillain stuff, but but in yeah. a completely different way. So I'm excited about that. And you know, this is kind of funny that. Uh... Because when we first started this podcast, I thought that I would always be picking the old, old comics, yeah. um, the non-superhero, whatever, and you'd be on the new side. Yeah. These last two months, I've been picking the new releases, and you've yeah. been picking the old stuff. So, But now, we're back to normal here. Yeah. I, yeah. I got a 1940s comic here, and you have something new. Cool. And to balance it out, uh, we've, we've got a, a reader poll uh, that, that's kind of somewhere in the middle. That's right, yeah. Alan Lee told us that he just picked up the... The graphic novel uh, Winter Soldier. Yeah. So Captain America Winter Soldier. So we're going to choose that one as our read, our reader poll for this month. Uh, we haven't had any Marvel since the first episode with all new X Men. So yeah. Um, I'm a I'm a Marvel guy more than a DC guy. So I am definitely looking forward to that. And I haven't read it. And uh, have, yeah, you, have you read it? I've read the first half of it, but it's um. It's very wordy. Okay, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a thick one because it's actually the Winter Soldier is actually kind of two volumes sort of bound together in one book. Okay, um, so it is it's a very long read, but uh, if we can get through Xenozoic, I think we can get through Winter Soldier. Right. Well, and Terry and the Pirates is very wordy as well because okay. the way they did action car- comics back when you, when yeah. newspapers allowed their comic strips to be huge, they loaded yeah. it up with tons of content. Yeah, and this is like it, this book collects two and a half years of the comic strip okay so um i'd be fine if you only got through the first year but hopefully you'll be yeah. hooked enough to read hopefully. the rest of it it's uh, i'm 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 uh, i'm i'm excited to check that out as well so cool well i think that's a that's a that's a cool round of uh, comics for next month yeah um i really enjoyed this month so if anybody listened and didn't read these comics this month uh, I, I highly suggest picking up all three yeah you've got to get to it they're all yeah. really good yeah they're all really good so i but 
that does it for this month's episode. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can you can find us online at pullboxpodcast.com uh, where uh, you can leave your comments and your suggestions. You can also email us uh, at uh, thepullboxpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you thought about the books uh, that we read um, or that we are reading. Uh, and uh, and also send us your suggestions. We're always looking for it. It's always good to just send in your suggestions as soon as you've got them. Like as soon as you think about it, just send us an email because we like to have a nice pool of suggestions. Even if you sent something in a couple months ago, uh, we might still use it because it's all about finding a, a cool mix. Because yep. if I'm going to pick a Spider-Man book, we're not going to pull a Spider-Man book from the reader polls. Yeah. Yep. So um, just to have that nice sort of bank of books, uh, these things have have shelf lives sometimes but most of the time as we've seen with xenozoic like you know yeah a book can be 20 years old and it can still be relevant so well and mine's um, my pick is i don't know 80 years old yeah, so i'm hoping that it's relevant to so oh, 70 years old i guess so i so just send those suggestions in um and you can also hit us up on twitter uh at pullbox podcast and on our facebook page facebook.com slash pullbox podcast very creative titles there. Yes, yeah. it's all very easy. I try and keep it simple and easy for the listeners to find. I, you know, sort of that one key phrase, and they can, unlocks the whole world of yeah. pull box <laughs> for them to, to join us. But uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll uh, we'll we'll catch you next month. Yeah, see you later.